1: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we have Bob Thune. He is the founding and lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He's a council member of the Gospel Coalition. He's the author of numerous books, Gospel Eldership, The Gospel-Centered Life, The Gospel-Centered Community, uh perhaps most importantly, in earthly terms, he is married to his wife, Lee, and they have four children and uh man, Bob, it is so great to have you in the studio today. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Bob drove down from Omaha at my invitation and uh and this is a joy so thanks thanks for making it happen man and We do know barbecue is somewhere in the mix. I was as gonna well.
2: say you, you bribed me a little bit, and it's worth it, so I'll take it We That's have some our Kansas ways. city barbecue
1: we have our ways. Kansas City barbecue. Yeah, I mean we have the New York Post number 1 ranked barbecue place, Joe's KC or yeah, it used to be Oklahoma Joe's, now it's Joe's KC. So that's pretty significant. I'm
2: excited about possibly trying that out. Is there good barbecue in Omaha? No, there's not. Yeah. There's flat out no. That was very definitive. I'm answer. sorry, but I I apologize. I mean I wish there was, but there's not. You don't have to apologize <laughs> to me, but <laughs> I apologize uh, to my fellow residents of Omaha. <laughs> we we feel the pain. You do have a lot of good baseball culture. We have a lot of good things, just not barbecue. Yeah. Good zoo, I hear. Yes, excellent zoo.
1: Bob uh, is a multifaceted dude, as a lot of you will know. Uh, He's uh, a lead pastor of the the church I mentioned, but he also has started a school, a classical Christian school, uh, as I understand it. We'll get more from him there, called Trinity Classical Academy. So, Bob, as we were talking about just a minute ago there's a lot of things we could talk about here gospel centrality uh being a pastor theologian which i perceive you to be at least from my chair uh your current phase of ministry i'm glad to talk about any of these things but i i have to say seeing you from afar and knowing you from some friends mutual friend jeff dodge and others i've been i've been impressed by how you it seems like you have been able to bring trinity classical academy into existence
2: From nothing, right? From nothing. Okay. Can you give us the basics of that story? I will do my best. It's a fun story to tell. Uh, And it's certainly not something I've done alone. I've had a team of people that have been really instrumental in making it happen. Um, So you spend a lot of time helping people think about things like family, masculinity, femininity, and a a lot of the people who talk about specifically sort of how the soul of a man is shaped will say that. Uh, a man in his 20s is trying to figure out mainly questions of identity. Who am I? Uh, a man in his 30s is trying to sort of figure out competence and proficiency. Where should I really give my best energy? What am I made to do in the world? And I heard someone say that, you know, when you're 40, you should have a, a little bit of a sense of who you are and kind of what you're good at. And then you're hopefully poised to really make a, a good uh, impact in those areas over the course of the next few decades. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, true for everyone or not, but that's, that's sort of the path that my journey has taken. And so when I was 40, when I turned 40 uh, a few years ago, uh, I took a solitude retreat and just started praying through, um, who am I and what does God seem to use me to do and how do I maximize who I am? Uh, I always wanted to be, uh, Tim Keller, you know, I wanted to preach amazing sermons or mm-hmm. I wanted to be John Piper or David Platt and do just be passionate about the Lord. Or I wanted to things like what you're doing have a PhD and teaching the academy uh, mm. what I realized is is who I really am one of the things God's given me that just I, I have a kind of this freakish ability in is is institutional leadership starting mm. institution I just realized hey what God's done with quorum Deo is uh, you know I've, I've planted a church and that's not unique by any means but the way I lead tends to be uh, kinds of leadership structures and systems and processes and how do we build a thing that will sustain itself and sure, so sure i realized at that season hey that's kind of that's kind of my calling card that's that's one of the things god's given me to do in life and so yeah. i just started asking hey what are the how should i in leverage that in my city in particular um one of the th- one of the needs where i live was just greater opportunities for christian education um and my wife and I had homeschooled our older kids and had really bought into the classical model of education and felt like it was really full and uh rich for our kids. Uh and so the the long the, the short way of telling the story is I was in Austin, Texas visiting my friend Will. Uh I go down there once or twice a year. It's where we had our first children and used to live there for a while and have a lot of friends there and do some ministry there and so I was in Austin <clears throat> I experienced a school that was similar to the one we started uh, his his son was going there at the time and we went to pick up his son from school and I was like hey this is a really interesting model I've never seen anything like this and what was interesting about it was it was a classical school it was christian and it was collaborative or like a, some people call it a university model school mm-hmm. where there's two to 3 days that the kids are in class on campus and then the other two days they're doing work at home under the Tutelage of their parents, but it's different than homeschooling in the sense that it's the school that's doing all the lesson planning and the curriculum, and so you know it's it's like a university where you go to class a couple of days a week and you you do your work on the side. Mm. And so uh, I I felt like, man, this is the thing that in Omaha, Nebraska, I think there's a really a an opportunity for this kind of school fills a niche and fills a need that I see in my community. And so I texted a friend of mine and said uh, I. Uh, Calling him a friend. At that time, he was really just an acquaintance. And I said, hey, um, have you ever thought about starting a school? Uh, and he said, let's sit down and talk about where you get back. So uh, the two of us sat down and uh, a third uh, friend of ours got involved very early on and, and sort of the three of us together formed the initial uh board of directors and kinda got this thing off the ground and got it rolling. So that's the the <laughs> short version is just I saw it. I was like, hey, we should do this in Omaha and gathered some people and uh and God God graced that uh, in the way that he does. And uh and that thing came to fruition. And along the way, um, man, all kinds of other people have uh, you know, the it takes a lot of people to mm-hmm. pull something like that off and a lot of okay. horsepower. And so we have uh amazing leaders and an amazing head of school and amazing families. And so I don't take credit for any of that, but it was fun to be part of the, per, the, the initial push to get it started.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's inspiring. It, it strikes me that if you weren't in the ministry world, it sounds to me like you might be one of these types who's a serial entrepreneur or Yeah, I like kind of have that vibe. Yeah. I,
2: I, I like to start things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's, that's, I, I really enjoy that. Okay, so when is that first conversation? What year? That
2: was the summer of 2015. Okay. Um, or actually, I guess May of
1: 2015.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came back, uh, my friend Phil and I sat down, said, hey, what would it take to get this going? And he's a little bit of a serial entrepreneur as well. Mm-hmm. He's a, a, an attorney who just, ha- you know, he likes to start stuff and has the sort of legal mojo to mm-hmm. file paperwork. He knows, knows how to check all the boxes with the state and the federal government and do all those things. That's huge. And so we, uh, and then our friend Anna, who uh, jumped on board with us, and we just said, hey, let's, let's give the fall to seeing if this thing has legs. Um, And so let's just put the word out that we're thinking about the idea and let's see what materializes. And so we sort of set ourselves a little bit of a strategic plan for about six months and just said, hey, if we give six months to this and it it doesn't have any traction and the Lord's not doing it, then no big deal. We'll just, you know, it'll be fun to try it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And what happened was by the end of that fall, we had kind of a core nucleus of families who had said, who had raised their hand and said, if you start this school, we're in. Um, and, and kind of, we asked them to, I think, put a hundred bucks on the table to say like, and it's, it's more than just my word. Here's a little bit of money that says I'm serious. And, uh, and so we, um, as the year turned the corner, then into January of 2016, we knew we had kind of the critical mass and uh, the proof of concept, if you will, to get the thing started. And so the spring of 2016 was when we really sort of uh, hit the ground running, and then the school started in the fall of 2016. So it was about okay. a 12-month process from the initial idea to actually when we were able to start wow. classes.
1: That is moving. I mean, that is impressive.
2: It was – I mean, there was a lot of um, just the Lord's providential goodness behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people who were interested, a, a church that was willing to let us use their facility as as a starting place. And so there's, there's a lot of things that came together that really seemed to indicate, hey, God's kind of in this, and this is um, – This is coming together in ways that are fun.
1: And fast forward now, obviously it's been an interesting season with the virus, the pandemic, so that changes things. But let's talk about the school a little bit prior to that. Yeah. What does it look like today in 2020? How many families, how many students, how's it it going? What have you learned? Those sorts of things.
2: Uh, It's been fantastic in terms of just um, organizational growth. So uh, at the end of this spring, uh so the school year that sort of we just came out of uh 266 students in grades K through 7 or actually pre K through 7th grade uh 142 families uh 47 local churches represented nice. so wow. uh, and that's you know it's, it's had pretty consistent growth every single year year over year um we in fact our biggest pain point is we can't grow the school fast enough just because of facility challenges, staffing challenges. We, you know, we, there's just certain constraints that we have. uh i feel like if we if we didn't have any material constraints, uh it probably could grow even faster and even bigger. Uh, you know, our goal is not fast and big, but it we, we are satisfied with how families in our city seem to have responded and how um you know, people have uh, been really excited about this particular model of education. and and I always say it's important for me to say as a pastor that um, th- that this is a sort of second level conviction for me. So, you know, I lead a church of people who some of them homeschool, some of them send their kids to public school, some of them send their kids to a collaborative school like what we have. Uh, I'm great with all of that. I want people I, – I feel like that's a place of Christian freedom. And so – this is something that's sort of a side gig for me. I try to keep this world somewhat separate from my world as a pastor because I don't I don't want to be complicated. I don't I want to be able to look across the table at a, a father or mother in my church who's wrestling through an educational decision of, hey, what should we do with our child and, and not have them imagining my automatic answer is you should send them TCA, because I I don't think that's necessarily the case. But um for uh, for sort of the, the second level convictions that I personally have and that my wife has about how we want to do education with our kids. And, uh, it's been really fun to see people sort of embrace this opportunity and say, Hey, this is, this is great. And we want to, we want to send our kids here and get behind this model.
1: Yeah. I would be very close to where you are probably the same position basically, as you just articulated it. I don't think there is one educational option we have to do as believers. I think homeschool can be great, can be terrific, Um, I think, uh, Christian school can be great. Classical schools are fantastic. I think, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I was a public school kid. Yeah. Me as well. K to 12. Yeah. And you know, I managed to walk, and chew gum at the same time Yeah, and pray sometimes, you know, so.
2: Well, and and Nebraska is a non-charter school state. And so that, you know, i realize states are different there, but so, so our options in terms of Of that side of things are even more limited, and so you know there's some some states where there are classical school options that are sort of like charter schools, and you Mm -hmm. tax dollars fund them and all of that, and you know that's a that's an interesting debate to me. But for for where we live specifically, that was one of the challenges was just there's not there's not a broad range of um, either classical options or non traditional types of schools. There's not a lot of innovation in that area, and so it was fun to be able to innovate something.
1: So the broader question, the deeper question, I guess you could say, is why why this option you've just articulated clearly you don't think this is what every christian family has to do christian school uh classical school however you want to frame it but you did it you you undertook create from thin air a classical academy yeah um i my mind is ringing as you're talking here about like Rod Dreher, the Benedict Option, all these kind of – of course, Christian schools were proliferating for decades before that. Yeah, But you have launched this in a particular season of, let's say, America's civilizational life when I would say a lot of Christians are thinking hard yeah. about this sort of deal. And even we may be kind of late in the game. Like in other words, if you're seeing the need for options for your kids, your your Christian father and mother – uh, you want them to be trained in a sound way, not in a pagan or secular way. You may be thinking about this, but the clock is ticking right so why you what What drove you to this particular vision and conviction?
2: Uh, there was a more of a spiritual concern and more of a pragmatic concern um, spiritually speaking, or sort of if I think about theological conviction, uh, there was just a sense that I did want our city to have an option for Christian parents who were concerned about, uh, some of the broader cultural factors. I I don't, I don't ever, I am not a defensive minded person. Hmm. I don't just want to play defense. And I realized when we were in the homeschool community, a lot of people's reasons for homeschooling, and I don't think this is good or bad, but we're sort of like, I don't want my kids in that environment over there. Yes. I feel like I, I get that concern. It makes sense to me. I'm more of an offense-minded person. Of hey, what what are we building for the sake of the future? What kinds of human beings do we want to be creating? And as I thought about that question, my my concern with the schools in my city was less about hey, they're you know they're they're secular; they're not going to teach from a Christian worldview. I do think that's a problem at the end of the day, but yeah. it had more to do with um, I I don't know <laughs> uh, I don't know that any um, school that's, that's a, a public school has the freedom to establish character. I don't even think that's necessarily the conversation in education right now. The conversation is much more about achievement. It's about test scores. It's about, and those things matter. I'm not saying they don't matter, but mm-hmm. uh, the, we have a lot of public school teachers in our church and their frustration is always how hey, I'm, I'm kind of working uh, swimming upstream, you know, the, uh, there's things I care about for these kids that my system doesn't care about. Because at the end of the day, my job is just to help them pass the test. I, I don't have the freedom, except in in certain unusual environments. And there are some schools where you just have a, a principal who's very generous, and there's a little bit of freedom there. But so my concern was uh, more about what kind of people are we shaping for the future, and my my conviction or my vision about classical education for my own kids was man I want them to have a christian worldview but more importantly I want them to have the capacity to reason and uh think and evaluate arguments and uh be persuasive and wise and I want them to be formed in certain ways and that seems to require more than just a good curriculum mm-hmm. it seems to require a certain kind of culture mm. and that was a reason that I felt like hey I want to help to build a school that can freely Shape its own culture without being constrained by certain. Here is what we can't do. Here is what we can't say. Here is what we can't talk about. Uh, And so, you know, I think for a lot of folks who value Christian education, they can resonate with that concern. Um, The the pragmatic uh, uh, conviction um, just had more to do with the collaborative piece. Of I saw a lot of people who um, the reason they would choose not they, they they would they would not send their kids. Preferably to the school down the street. Nor would they homeschool. One was sort of like, um, I have some concerns with that particular vision of school, but the other was, I don't, I don't feel competent to take on the full burden of my kid's education. So yeah. I just knew there's this, there's this swath of people out there who want a Christian education for their kids and are not going to choose to homeschool because to homeschool you just, I mean, my wife did that for over a decade. And it just takes a lot of administrative chops. You're planning lessons and buying curriculum and Mm -hmm. running a school, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's just people who feel overwhelmed by that. Mm -hmm. And so the pragmatic concern for me was how can we create something that actually helps people, uh, comes alongside those parents and says, hey, let us do the lesson planning, build the curriculum, uh, shape the whole educational vision. All you get to do then is come alongside and do the fun stuff, which is teach with your kids, learn with your kids, help them execute uh their their lesson plans and and grow in virtue and character. That's what most parents really want to do. They're they're a little less excited sometimes about the administrative side of that.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm interested because I find that such a infectious vision of education and the formation of children more broadly. Um you're not first talking about getting your kids into a college or a university. Right. You're not first talking about extracurriculars and sports or drama or whatever. Um, you didn't even first say, you know, sort of zap them and make them Christians by age five, right? Right. Um, if we could do that, we would, but that's not usually how it works. You, you talked about forming kids to love virtue and, and love the truth and, and know how to think, all in a Christian, deeply Christian framework, I hear you saying. I, I just don't think that's always the way that evangelicals or Baptists or whoever we're talking about, or Baptist seminary, think about education. Yes, yeah, sadly, I think that's true. I, I think we tend to be kind of spiritual pragmatists, if you will. Yes. And we can be pragmatic in a certain way, like you talked about. I'm, I'm on board with that. But we can be kind of like, so long as my kid comes to faith in whatever system we're talking about, that's it. That's yes. it. That's all we have to say. Yes. Where did you not uh, get that framework? It's a very clumsy podcast question, but w- w- seriously, why why do you have a broader vision of
2: forming your kids in this richer way? This is probably uh, coming out of some of my own convictions about discipleship in general. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the weaknesses, if we can just be strong, honest in the evangelical church is a very functional vision of discipleship that says, yes. be a Christian, love Jesus, uh, you know, be faithful to your family, um, you know, live a good moral existence. And that's kind of, it, it's very thin. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, it just, you know, I've been shaped enough by thinkers like Dallas Willard, um, by thinkers like James K Smith, even by some of what Rod Dreher has been raising just to say, Hey, the, the issue we have in the church has less to do with a misunderstanding of salvation and, and more to do with just a, an inappropriate vision of formation, mm. that actually the, the things that we are habituated into, the things that become second nature, the things that, that just over time our souls and bodies, they just sort of get, get woven in there in deep ways. That happens in the family. It also happens in the school and it Mm -hmm. also happens in anything we do repeatedly over time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're a sports guy. I'm a sports guy. My two sons are baseball players. And I, you know, I've spent their entire childhood trying to form muscle memory in them as pitchers and as hitters so that when they get up to the plate, they're not thinking about what do I do with my hands? What do I do with my feet? What do I do with my batting stance? It just feels natural. Mm -hmm. Anyone who has learned an instrument or learned to dance or played a sport understands that Christians, I think, have done a poor, or, or maybe we've been late to the, to the conversation there, or we just haven't um, inhabited our own tradition, because I think the church fathers talked about, the reformers talked about that. That's not new. But yeah. in America, we've sort of become very functional mm-hmm. in our vision of discipleship. And so for me, as I thought about my own kids again, I thought, hey, do I want them to know Jesus? Absolutely. Do sure. I want them to have uh, convictions about gospel doctrine? Yes. But I also want them to be a certain kind of people. And the kids in the kids that I am responsible for as a as a president of a, a, a school board, man, I, I, I want us to do more than just pass on Christian doctrine. I also want us to shape a certain kind of person. Um, we have like a portrait of a graduate, we call it, of just like, hey, when someone graduates from our school, what kind of person do we want them to be? Mm. And there's a certain thing we have in mind there that's thicker than just someone who has a Christian worldview. That's important but we don't we don't want just that. We want someone who's learned to reason. We want someone who's had to work through conflict. We want someone who has been has learned to love people who think differently from them rather than seeing them as enemies or combatants, seeing them as fellow human beings mm. who are worth reasoning with and can be charitable in disagreement. These are the kinds of things that we feel like this if we can form these things at age 12 um that sure makes that person at age twenty five hopefully a way better student, a way better member of your church, a way better future leader in the church. You know, mm-hmm. that's part of the the vision that we have.
1: Yeah. And being a father and mother is no easy task. So you get why we can be prey to a kind of spiritual pragmatism where we would think, okay, it's hard enough yeah. <laughs> just to like make the toast on time, you know, in the morning and and do these basic things. I'm trying to get my kid into the kingdom of Christ. You know, if we if we get there, we're doing well. But, but we really do want not just a richer understanding of childhood training, but of discipleship more broadly. I, I agree completely. Sadly, though, sometimes those of us on the more conservative wing, uh, wherever we fall, can be known for having right doctrine, and you alluded to this, but not being that much interested in curiosity, in the arts, in literature, you know choose what you want to talk about. I would be one who would see no tension between the truth and curiosity. So I, I don't want my kids or the students I train here at Midwestern Seminary, Spurgeon College, I don't want them to think that they used to have curiosity when they weren't really clear on Christianity. And then they come to a school and then they get all the the principles they need to know, and that's it. They don't have to think. Right. Actually, there's no tension between knowing the truth and then living a curious, engaged, intellectual life. The truth funds and drives curiosity. So there's not a tension between it.
2: But sadly, there often can be, I think. Well, and like you said, I think that's like we need to play defense and offense Mm -hmm. as parents, right? So there is a world who wants to disciple my kids. Mm. And playing defense is making sure they understand the doctrine of the scriptures and have a basic Christian worldview that inculcates them against some of the false ideas that are out there. But I think that that playing offense is also equipping them to be curious learners in the world. Mm-hmm. and it, the best of the Christian tradition, I think you would agree, are people who are are deeply convinced and convicted, but also winsome and charitable and not mm-hmm. afraid of an idea out there that's unorthodox because mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day, truth, truth wins if it's on the field. Yes.:
1: Yes, that's well said. So what would you say to a pastor listening to this humble little podcast <clears throat> who is? feeling what you and I are feeling, let's say he's in a a large town, a small city, I don't know, somewhere, and um, there's not maybe like an amazing educational option for his kids. He's long-term, he wants to plant roots, he doesn't want to do the transient pastor thing, you know, moving every three years if he can help it. Um, So he wants to serve an actual community in a a Wendell Berry-esque kind of way. Okay, would you say to that guy who's got plenty on his plate with a church like you, um think about this do this you must do this never do this Wh- where where does your advice fall and let me just say this quickly i think that this is vital to think through we often as christians can think well if we just set up a local church that's kind of it but i think there's something here that you're on to mm. not everybody's going to do this but yeah. so what is your word to the I, pastor
2: i i would just I would probably broaden it beyond the pastor. So I think if you're a pastor, I would say you you should not necessarily do this. Yeah. I don't think – in fact, <laughs> I have a friend in Austin, Texas who <laughs> serves on a school board of a school like mine. He said, hey, I only know two pastors in the United States of America that have done this, you and Doug Wilson. <laughs> I don't know anyone else who's trying to be a pastor and lead a classical school. That's, that's chaos. So <laughs> I, I think that's probably true. What I would suggest though is – as pastors, for people who are leading in the church, what we want to do is two things. We want to, number one, like I think about my role as a pastor is going back to, if I believe, and I personally do, that that education can be a secondary conviction and that there are different options parents can choose there, I want to equip parents to be very involved in their kids' education, to not see it as, well, I'm going to hand my kids off to the school and they're going to do the job. Right. Whether it's a Christian school or a, any other kind of school, that's- A parent's role is deeply involved in their kids' education, and they need to be. So I want pastors to help parents have that vision because I think one of the places where we can be passive as Christian parents is just to sort of assume, well, hey, that's why I send my kids to school so they can get educated. Right. And only the homeschool people are responsible to doing the education. Um, But secondly, I would say to a pastor who has a sort of, like you said, a long-term Wendell Berry-esque, be-in-a-place-for-a-long-time kind of vision. Mm -hmm. I would want to say, what is the Spirit of God stirring up, or what might the Spirit of God stir up among a concerned group of Christians? You know, how can you sort of just be a a catalyst maybe for something. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I found is I had to be the catalyst. But as soon as I was willing to say, hey, can we get some traction behind this idea? There were immediately four people in my life who were like, hey, I, I, in fact, here's our head of school that, that uh, runs TCA, who we hired at the very beginning. And she had been a high school English teacher for eight years mm-hmm. uh, in a public high school in our city. And so had a teaching background. When I first said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a school like this. She came to me and said, hey, I have been praying about a school exactly like that for a year, and I didn't know anyone else was thinking about it. And so I just said, well, that's not an accident. Wow. Um, And so I just want to encourage pastors and leaders, hey, even if you're not wired with sort of that entrepreneurial, you should get it started kind of thing, it is quite possible that the Lord is provoking people in your city, in your church or in other churches, who have some energy around things like this could be a part of starting this the other thing that people should know is particularly for these kinds of schools classical christian collaborative schools there are a couple of different consortiums of people who provide sort of like coaching and support to people who want to start a school like this and so it's quite easy if the energy is there to say hey let's do this but we need help with the how there's a lot of ways to go find help with the how Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are like hey if you have the right group of people who want to see something like this start will help you get from, you know, A to A to Z mm-hmm. on, on rolling the plan forward. So it does not take, you know, the kind of entrepreneurial energy that has to envision something, start it from scratch, build all the systems, and get the whole thing going.
1: When I was in Louisville, Kentucky a few years back teaching at Southern Seminary, uh, I, I became acquainted with a school called Highlands Latin Um Classical Academy. I think yes. I have the t- title right there. And so they were doing classical education um from a, a Christian influenced kind of form. And um, you know, so now I'm getting used to first and second graders starting to learn Latin. Um and I I don't think every school would have to do precisely this school's curriculum, but it was just remarkable. And I at the time was doing a little bit of writing for the American Spectator. I wrote a piece where I said why classical schools might just save Western civilization. That was the level of uh, confidence that I banked in an enterprise like that. So these these efforts to come behind what you're saying, these efforts can feel really humble and small, and in a lot of places they probably will be. Um, You seem to me like you had a fair bit of convening power in your city in Omaha, established church, well-known, strong reputation, these sorts of things. Not every pastor or person listening to this people who are not pastors, as you said a minute ago, is going to have that kind of convening power. But there is real strength, even in small efforts, and things can really build, as you've talked about. So
2: this is a very inspiring story, uh, I think, to me and to others. Well, thank you. I think it's the best kind of localism, right? It's the kind of, what makes these kinds of things work are people in a place who care about that place and the the kids and the families in that place. Yes. And so the uniqueness is you have I think a lot of synergy at the level of the philosophy of education. But what's going to make it work is you and people in your neighborhood and city going, "Hey, let's let's do something like this here." Yeah. And yeah, it's not going to we're not going for national prominence and we're not trying to get on the cover of magazines. We're just trying to be faithful in our place to to help kids learn and to help provide some educational models that might not exist there.
1: So, um Omaha, is your city. You have, uh, you're talking about localism. We are now. um, Just before we conclude, what has it been like for you to set up shop there and make that your home? We're we're out here in the Midwest. I'm in Kansas City. You're in Omaha. We both know that this is country sometimes called flyover country and these sorts of things. It's been really, really eye-opening to me to come and live in the Midwest and see all that God is doing out here and see all the promise and the natural beauty and all sorts of different things. What are you feeling in this season of your life, this stage of your life about where you are? Is there a peace? Is there a contentment? Is there a
2: happiness? What, what are you What are you feeling? Yeah, very much so. And part of what brought me back to Omaha was I had grown up there, moved there when I was eight years old. So that was my, where I went to high school and kind of my formative years. And uh, I was just convinced, you know what? I Not everybody wants to move and live here. I, I'm from this place. I understand this place. I get the culture of this place and i i am one of those people who uh likes to be in a place long enough or my vision for my life is to be in a place long enough to where i can just sort of have a sustained influence i it's funny that you asked that question because i feel like well i've kind of with what god has done at cormdale and with what god has done at trinity classical academy i, f- I feel pretty satisfied I'm like what i've done two things that were sort of on my bucket list of like can i plant a church and <laughs> can i start this school and yeah these both happened and so yeah. I don't feel any sense of like, oh, I have dreams that are unfulfilled, but I think what the Lord is building in me is a sense of, yeah, these are the kinds of things I just sort of want to give my life to in a place uh, and help other people have a vision for that place. Because I do think there's something in our hearts and something in our culture that's sort of like a, a running discontentment where there's always a cooler place I could be. There's always a place with different kinds of culture, more mountains, uh, more oceans. You know, there's, there's lots of Fair reasons point. why I would say, oh gosh. Omaha is not on a whole lot of postcards, you know, as like the most beautiful place in North America. Um, but yeah, for me, there's a real satisfaction in saying, uh, I feel like God has given me favor to make a difference in a place and, and by his grace to continue doing that. Um, and that feels very fulfilling to me. And I do think that's, uh, you know, some of the writers and thinkers who are most provocative to me are are people that sort of work against that discontentment or that restlessness in the soul and then say, hey, but but there's beauty in being in a place for a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm, that's well said. Well, this has been a, a very stimulating conversation for me. I trust it will be for others. Um, and without wanting to, to go on record as saying, this is the way to do things, because Correct. you're not saying that, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I do want to just close on my end by saying, I do think, however, that this is something to think through in a serious way for Christians in this day and age. Public schools are, in many places at least, in rougher and rougher places. It's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in such environments. It's not impossible in a lot of places, but it's challenging. We don't want to run from the challenge, but we also want to recognize we have this discipleship responsibility. Years ago, I heard Al Mohler say, that something like 97% of all adult Christians were raised in a Christian home, um, which in a way is kind of discouraging because you realize it's not as common as we would hope for people to come into the kingdom who don't have some kind of background in being trained into it. On the other hand, it's actually quite encouraging because it tells you there's real power in familial formation and the witness of the local church and then through institutions like schools and these sorts of things we i'll say it this way uh in concluding we can be so local church driven that we can lose sight of the power of other institutions i don't think we're forced to make a choice i think we can be greedy here we can be local church loving christians who also love institutions like christian schools classical schools christian colleges seminaries these sorts of things yes so
2: any thoughts there as we wrap up uh, no I think you're exactly right I, I think there's um, there's a growing uh, chorus of people who are helping us recognize that and say hey actually as Christians we have a responsibility to think about the common good mm-hmm. and these are parts of our responsibility that yes we should love and care about the local church but also we should care about things like education things like serving the poor right and these take mm-hmm. other institutions besides the church they they're they're, they're um, uh, they're not the church's job, mm-hmm. but they are—they are the purview of Christians. Christians right. need to care about uh, building a thriving city, and—and and, you know, it's this podcast, right? It's the city—the city of God That's coming right. within the city of man, and—and and these are, um, Amen. These are ways that we can be involved in that.
1: Well said. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Right. Thanks for listening to City of God a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city
0: of God and the city of man.